listening to this week's message from Freedom Church. For more info on Freedom, visit freedomdl.com. Thanks for listening. We are currently in a series called Grow Up. Now, this series has been hugely impactful for a lot of you. And I'm not saying that because I think so. I'm saying it because you've been telling me about it. Like, it's really been hitting you hard. And, um, and, and I love that. I, I love that because I don't want to ever get up here and just coddle you with some kind of cutesy message. I want you to hear from the Holy Spirit. We'd have a real experience with the Holy Spirit and with God's Word. Um, and, and so this specific um, phrase, grow up, I mean, I don't know if you've ever had anybody tell you to grow up, but I always think of like some little 15-year-old teenage girl going, grow up, you know, like, that's what I think of when I think of it. And um, I, had, I had somebody, I remember exactly who it was and where I was when this happened, but I, I said something to this girl, and she didn't think it was funny, and I was like, well, it was just a joke. And she goes, next time make it funny. And I was like, it's the same way somebody said grow up to you, you know? And so I don't mean it condescending, but I do think that we need to grow up. And, and what this really means is to advance to maturity. That's what we're talking about here, to advance to maturity, okay? And so I had a conversation this week with someone, and in this conversation, I was listening to them speak about some struggles they were dealing with. And as I was listening, I was thinking to myself, like, what are you thinking? Now, I know that can sound really condescending, and some of you are like, oh my gosh, was it me? You know, I, I'm not trying to be mean when I say that, but, and I didn't mean it mean like that. But I thought, if you did this, then what were you thinking if you didn't expect that this was going to happen as a result? It's like if I go into the snake pit, and I'm like, ooh, he's a cobra. Ooh, I'm going to get bitten, okay? You can't play a flute probably, but I, I'm probably going to get bitten if I get in a cobra cage. What would I expect? There's alligators in there. Oh, they're scared. They're more scared of us than they are. You know, no, they will eat you, okay? <laughs> Alligator be like, oh, look, a pig fell in the water. Hey, come on now. Hey, <laughs> have good thoughts about yourself. I didn't mean to be... I didn't mean it in my head to be condescending, but I was thinking, what are you thinking? Now, this is an important question you should constantly ask yourself. If you're not getting the result you want, we typically ask ourselves, what are we doing? Like, what are you doing? You need to be asking yourself, what are you thinking? Okay, now, now parents, we're in this situation a lot because, um, like I'll give you an example, um, you walk around the corner and you see your four-year-old and they're drawing a masterpiece with a marker on the side of the wall. Now, most of you are like, what are you doing? Like, where did you get that marker in the first place? You know, um, which parents, I don't know if you know this, but your kids can find markers like that, okay? So if you ever lose a Sharpie, they'll find it. Um, and, and so you walk around the corner, you see that, you think, what are you doing? You need to ask, what are you thinking? Because here's probably what they'll tell you. I just want to draw mommy and daddy a picture. Now, see how cute that is, but it's all about your thought process. Now, think about your last week, Okay. Did you get the results you were looking for in every area of your life last week? <laughs> did you? Now, if you're that one person that did, do not say it because you might get some hate thrown at you. Like, oh, goody two-shoes, like, God bless you. Um, which, by the way, that's how you should respond. You know, somebody, you're driving and somebody cuts you off. You shouldn't, no, you should, you should say, well, God bless, may your tank always be full. <laughs> and God's still working on that with me. So, like, uh. Don't cut me off, guys. <laughs> Our first thought is, what are you doing? But we need to be asking ourselves, what are we thinking? Yeah. 
That's what we're going to talk about today is what are we thinking? Many of us need to grow up in our thinking. And, and listen, I don't think we're intentionally being immature in our thought processes. Unless it's Tuesday night at men's group. Then there's some pretty immature thought processes going on there, which is fun. But hey, that's true. Stays in men's group. But I just don't think we realize how big of a deal our thought life actually is. Guys, it's huge. Okay? It's huge. So let's jump in. Number one, what you think dictates what you believe. What you think dictates what you believe. I've said this a million times at Freedom. You're going to hear me say it for the rest of my life. What you think dictates what you believe. Now, there's this old saying that says, if you show me your friends, I'll show you yourself. Now, why is that true? It's not because of what your friends do. It's because of what your friends think. Their thought processes is what affects you. No one just gets up and does something, right? There's an entire thought process that goes into that before the first step is ever taken. I mean, my goodness, think about making plans to go do something like we're going to go axe throwing at the new axe place, right? Let's think about that. We don't just like, we're not just sitting there and all of a sudden somebody just gets up and goes. Hey, where are you going? I'm going to go throw axes. <laughs> okay. Like, like nobody does that. You think about, hey, y'all want to do something fun this weekend? Hey, what do you want to do? Let's go to, let's go to Top Golf. No, there's going to be 15 million people there. Hey, there's a new axe throwing place down the street. Awesome. We'll see you at six o'clock. Like, see, there's a thought process that goes into it. This is not hard. Let me give you some biblical evidence of this, and they're going to put it on the screen, but I'm not going to read it just for the sake of time. But this is whenever, whenever um, Adam and Eve had already bit the apple, and God was walking in the cool of the garden, and God was like, hey, where are y'all? Which, by the way, I do think it's hilarious that Adam and Eve tried to hide from the omniscient God that they were in relationship with. Um, and before we laugh at them, don't forget, we do stuff in the dark and think that God can't see it because there's darkness, right? Like, God knows what's going on. But they were in this situation. And they heard God walking in the cool of the garden. So what did they say? Let me give you the thought process that happened for them to get to the point where they were hiding. Oh my goodness, we ate the apple. <laughs> oh Lord. God said don't eat the apple. But we ate the apple. Um, he said if we ate the apple, we'd die. <laughs> we ate the apple. Um, I bet he knows we ate the apple. <sighs> we ate the apple. Oh, I hear him now. Let's hide. 2 Samuel 11, David saw Bathsheba bathing. And he sends for someone to figure out who she is. He hollers at her. And then goes down this road of bad ideas that ends up killing her husband to cover up his affair. Listen, guys, we don't walk into sinful actions. We think our way into them. This is why normalization is such a good weapon for the enemy. If he can whittle down your resistance to the thought of something you will begin to reason with your objection to it, and before long, you're succumbing to it. Okay, we see this tactic very clearly in what some have called the most impactful revolution in human history, and I don't necessarily mean impactful in a good way, okay? And it's the sexual revolution. We're going to call it SR now because of little ears. I don't want to, you know, any of that kind of stuff, okay? So the SR in the 1960s was a social and cultural movement that resulted in liberalized attitudes toward physical intimacy and morality. It sought to make monogamy a vice, to abolish the concept of modesty, to normalize promiscuity, to prioritize lust and feelings, and to demonize morality, among other things. Even today, most people in our culture have a repressionist view of pre-1960s morality. We saw this play out in music, and, and media, and television, movies. I mean, do y'all, do y'all realize that Lucy and Desi didn't even sleep in the same bed? And now you can see something related to the SR in a Burger King commercial. You know what I'm talking about. Like, I don't know how that sells a burger. 
This tactic is alive and well, guys. So as you, normal, as you normalize one immoral activity, it makes it way easier to normalize even other immoral activities. So phrases that are synonymous with the 1960s, like make love, not war, have now turned into people literally advocating for normalizing people who are actively, unashamedly attracted to people of a certain age. Come on, y'all, see where I'm going with this. What is going on in this world right now? Like, what is happening when, when the morality of our nation is so plummeting so hard, you can all trace it back to this SR in the 1960s. Here's what's happened is the enemy has used the process of normalization to create chaos. So here's a really good way to know if you're walking with the Lord or not. Is there chaos in your life? Here's why. Because God will always take chaos into order. But Satan will always take order into chaos. So think about your thought processes. Are they chaotic? Are they all over the place? Do you feel like at one point you kind of had it together? You felt like you were on the right track? And all of a sudden now your life is chaos. You probably have been walking with Satan, not with Jesus. Why am I telling you all this? It's because you need to see how easy it is for your thinking to go from godly to wicked in just a few steps. And guess where these steps are taken? It's right here. It's in your mind. Your mind is where you take these steps. So what thoughts have you been thinking that you know are ungodly, but that Satan is trying to normalize in you. What are those thoughts? Let me, let me give you some biblical backing for this. Got your boy Judas. Judas. It's funny. I don't hear many kids named Judas these days. I mean, like Jude is as close as we're going to get. But like, if you put that ass on the back, like you, you can kill Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, but Jesus called Judas in Luke chapter 6. I'm not going to read the whole passage, but look at the very last of that. Verse 16, Judas, the son of James, and Judas is Iscariot, who became a traitor. Now, what's funny is when I was a little kid, I thought it was is a carrot. And I thought if you ate carrots, you'd probably kill Jesus. So that's why I stayed away from him. <laughs> um, we see in Luke 22 that Judas agrees to betray Jesus. Now, the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew near, which is called the Passover, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered to Judas, who was one of the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him uh, to the, in, the, in the absence of the crowd. Boy, Judas just woke up one morning and said, you know what, I'm going to kill Jesus. No, that's not what happened. In fact, that's not at all what happened. Imagine when Judas was chosen as one of the 12. Now, some of us like to think that Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen, and so he had to have that bad guy in the group to do the bad thing, and Jesus knew and all that. Well, hold on a second. Um, if one of the things that Chosen, that movie, that TV series has done for me, is it's humanized the disciples and Jesus more than I ever imagined it would. I hold off for a long time watching it because I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be corny, dorky, and all that. You know, you know how Christian films usually are, like bad cinematography. The acting is really bad. You know, like I thought that's what it was going to be. You know, like Jesus was going to have an English accent, you know, all that stuff. In fact, I bought the DVDs, and one of our fall meetups is going to be watching episodes of The Chosen and talk about them afterwards. So that's going to be a really fun meetup. Um, but... But the whole point is they have, norm, they, have, they have humanized, I should say, the disciples. I mean, you can read the Bible and be like, oh, I don't really, 
<laughs> you know, get behind me, Satan. Like, it's harder. But, but when you realize these guys were human too, I mean, and one of the things I saw in, in season two when Judas comes um, onto the team, Judas in the movie was excited. He was blown away by who Jesus was. Now, I'm not saying that's biblical, but have you ever thought about that? Sometimes we think that Judas from day one hated Jesus and wanted to kill him. I don't think that's what happened. Judas was chosen as one of the 12 out of thousands of followers. That's pretty exciting. But it was the thought processes that got Judas to a place where he was willing to betray Jesus. John 12. By the way, if you go to the YouVersion app, you can get our events and you can actually have all these notes um, because there's a lot here I want you to get to. But John 12, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why hasn't this perfume been sold uh, and, and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Now he didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Already, already Judas is thinking in ways that are contrary to who Jesus is. Look at Matthew 26, 25. This is when Jesus was telling his disciples that somebody was going to betray him. The Bible says in verse 25, Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? And he said to him, You have said so. Interestingly enough, look at verse 22 in that same chapter. And they, the disciples, were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after the other, Is it I, Lord? Now, what's the difference there? And why is that such a big deal? Rabbi is what you call a teacher. There are many rabbis. Lord, now that's indicative of a proper relationship with Jesus Christ. So what was really going on? Here's what it was. Judas didn't have a relationship with Jesus. He had already thought his way out of that. Jesus was supposed to be this Messiah that came in and, and got the Romans, beat them. And Jesus wasn't doing that. He was talking about peace and love and a kingdom that was not of this world. Here's my point. Judas didn't just wake up one day and betray Jesus. His betrayal was the result of thoughts Judas thought that were not godly, that caused him to be blinded to who Jesus really was, what Jesus was on earth to do, and through his thought life, y'all, Satan entered into him to betray the very man that was trying to save him. Now, now listen, you may not be just one thought away from wicked deeds, but you know what? It doesn't take much. Let me give you an example. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 3 again. Verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast in the field that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Everybody say one. And the woman said to the serpent, you may eat of the tree of the, uh, of the garden, but you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Everybody say two. Yeah. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Everybody say three. It took three sentences to get her from godly to wicked. And she knew God face to face. In four thoughts, one of hers, where she was just regurgitating information, and three of Satan's, it took four thoughts to overthrow mankind. 
Are you convinced now of how important your thought life is? So, I can't give you the theory and then not give you some practical. So how do we fix our thoughts? Let me give you a few ways here. Number one, set your minds on the thing of the Spirit. Romans 8, 5, and 6 says this, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the thing of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Holy Spirit is life and peace. Now, it's good words, but like, how do you do that? Well, let me give you a gauge, okay? Is what I'm thinking right now getting me closer to the Holy Spirit or dragging me away from the Holy Spirit? That's how you determine whether or not you're being led by the Spirit or your flesh. So let's give an example. Um, the, the devil says, um, um, hey, you're a piece of junk. <laughs> you, you always screw up. You always mess things up. Well, number one, nobody can ever always or never do something. There, there's no such thing as absolutes like that. Okay, but... Even if I do mess up, the Bible says that I'll confess my sins. He's faithful and just to forgive me. It doesn't mean that I'm broken and wounded and, and, and lost forever. Okay, so I'm using the Bible to, to, to fix that problem. I'm not focusing on the negatives here. I'm not focusing on my flesh. I'm focusing on the Holy Spirit. And those thoughts, I have to think, am I getting closer to the Holy Spirit by this or further away? Satan's not going to tell you, hey, you need to read your Bible. That's, but, but if you get a bill and you're worried, is that pulling you away from the Holy Spirit or pulling you closer? So when, when something happens and that input comes in and you don't know how to process it, well, it's very simple. Is this response going to pull me closer to the Holy Spirit or further away? That's how you determine whether you're being led by the Spirit. Number two, think about the right things. Philippians 4.8, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence... If there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Okay, so let's think we have a thought process, and we look at this and we think, okay, it's, it's not one of those specific words. So I don't know what to do. Okay, well, let's go back to number one. Is what I'm thinking getting me closer to the Holy Spirit or not? If it's not getting you closer to the Holy Spirit, stop thinking about it. Renew your mind. It's the third one, Romans 12, 2. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Now listen, the first step in this is don't be conformed to the world. That means don't think like the world thinks. Okay? Don't think like that. Don't, don't, don't let your mind conform to what the world says. Let it conform to what the word says. So how do we do this? Well, it's, it's just like this. Number one, stop thinking bad thoughts. Okay? You counter bad thoughts with the word. A bill comes in, you don't know what to do. I'm just going to worry about it. That's a fleshly response. What you should do is two things. Number one, did I do something that was not being a good steward that put me in a situation where I can't afford this? Personal responsibility, y'all. Grow up. Okay? I love you. Can I love you enough to say that? Have some personal responsibility. You, you cannot spend half your paycheck on Miller Lite and expect that everything's going to work out fine. Okay? Can I be real? All right? Um, so that's the first part. And then number two, Jesus, you said that worrying is not going to do anything to fix it. It's not going to add any time to my life. It's, here's, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to trust you. I need you to help me understand how to take care of this. Now, he might say, you need to reevaluate re your budget. You might get a phone call a day later that says, hey, we had an error in your bill. It's only half of what you owe. You've got to trust God. The second part of that is control your inputs. 
If you think bad inputs will create good outputs, what are you thinking? Control your inputs. Um, the next one is pray and read your Bible daily. I ain't got time for that. Okay, whatever, man. Whatever. Got time to send me 15 TikToks in my inbox so I can't even look at my own TikTok feed? I got to look at the TikToks that you think are funny? Sorry. <laughs> working through some stuff. But you can't take five minutes and read a verse? Like, I'm sorry, but like, I'm, I'm just, I'm, ugh, I'm, I'm trying to be nice, but I'm fed up with this notion that we don't have time to read and pray. Make time. Prioritize your relationship with Jesus. Because here's the truth. When you die, there's only one thing that's going to remain, and that's whether or not you know Jesus Christ. Tim Keller just died. A big name in, in Christianity. And I saw a little clip from John Piper the, uh, yesterday that said the last conversation that Tim Keller and I had was just a few days ago. And he said, of all the things that I've done in ministry, there's only one thing that's important. And that's that my name is written in heaven. That's what's important. And he says, far be it from anybody that we spend our entire lives serving the king, but we don't know the king. Pray and read, it's important. The last part of that is feed the right wolf. you got two wolves inside of you. Two wolves. A, a godly one and a wicked one. The one you feed is the one that's going to survive. Which one's it going to be? Next part of this is tear down bad thoughts. 2 Corinthians 10.5 We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised up against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Let me tell you something right now. Something that is lacking big time in the body of Christ right now is the understanding of what spiritual warfare looks like. We have lackadaisical Christians who are not fighting against the Spirit. Remember, the Bible doesn't even say we have to overcome the enemy. It says that we just have to resist the enemy. If we resist the enemy, he will flee. So some of us, and I'm talking especially to you fathers, you need to be walking around your house once a week and saying, in the name of Jesus, this house is a godly house. We choose you, God. I rebuke Satan in the name of Jesus. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. I'll not have a rebellious teenager in my house. We will serve the Lord with gladness. We curse a, 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 a lack of a godly health in our life. We, we, in the name of Jesus, embrace everything you have for us, God. We don't do that. We, we try to fix behavioral problems, but allow, hopefully God will fix the spirit side. No, you have the authority to tear down those arguments. And so when a bad thought comes into your life or a, a thought process that drags you away from the Holy Spirit, don't just go, well, I guess I'm just going to lose this. But no, in the name of Jesus, I pull down every thought that raises up against the knowledge of Christ. I'm not going to sit here and take a bad thought. Oh, well, I guess I'm just, no, you take authority over that thing. Satan, what do you think you're doing right now? In fact, I caught you. Repay sevenfold in the name of Jesus. If your thought doesn't line up with God's thoughts, tear it down. How do I do that? If Satan tells you, I'm worthless. You are worthless, man. Here's what you do. You respond with saying, I know at least one person who gave the most important thing, the most precious thing in the entire universe for me. So if I'm worthless, then God must think it too. But the truth is, because of what he's done, Romans 5, 8. Even while we were sinners, God showed his love for us that he died for me. Tell me I'm worthless? God has my name inscribed on his hand. Get out of here with that. 
I'm precious to him. And I might be acting like a full-blown idiot right now. And I might be disobeying him. And God, I'm sorry about that. But he thinks I'm precious. I'm going to tear down that thought process. And the last one is this. Don't you dare flirt with a wicked thing. With the wicked thinking. Ephesians 5.11. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. Let me give you a little spiritual life hack. Whenever you realize God is showing you something in your life where darkness lives... Don't use that as an opportunity to fall into the darkness again. Use it as an opportunity to expose it with the light of Christ. How do you do that? First thing I do, I'll tell you the first thing I do. I call up one of my friends. And I say, hey, I'm struggling with this. Oh, God, you can't tell them what you're struggling with because then they'll hold it over your head. I don't have friends like that. I'll not let people like that in my life. They don't get to be close to my chest. Yeah, but those are don't some of those people you have that are like over you and like you're over them and like if they knew that they okay whatever man either I'm gonna live in my pride or I'm gonna get freedom to the darkness in me. In fact, you know what? Be a friend that somebody can tell anything to. I have no chance of being bitten by that cobra I talked about earlier if I'm never around a cobra. So the question here today is simply, what are you thinking? Here's a good follow up. What impact is what you're thinking having upon what you're believing? Okay, number two. What you believe dictates what you do. Matthew 12, 34, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees. You brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You see, what you say and do will flow from your heart. Now, now wait a minute. You, you just said a minute ago, bro, that... That it's what you think and what you believe. Okay, well, yeah. Well, the heart in the Bible is mentioned over 800 times. Every single time it's mentioned, it is never about the physical organ that pumps blood. It's always a figurative thing, both in Old Testament and New Testament. So what is the heart? Well, it's the effective center of our being. It's the capacity of moral preference. It's the desire producer that makes us tick. Archer says this. It's our desire decisions that establish who we really are. Let me say it like this. Your heart is the place where what your thoughts have produced live. Here's what I want you to think about. Think about this last week. What if your thoughts got together and produced a child? Your heart is where that child would live. And do you know what we call that child? Let me give you another name for it. Belief. Your thoughts conceive and beliefs are what it conceives. And your heart is where those things live. What kind of kids you got in your heart right now? What kind of beliefs do you have inside of you? Um, a belief is formed through how you process or think through experiences and information. Um, here's this from the NIH. Um, beliefs are basically the guiding principles in life that provide direction and meaning in life. Beliefs are the preset, organized filters to our perceptions of the world, uh, external and internal. Beliefs are like internal commands to the brain as to how to represent what is happening when we congruently believe something to be true. In the absence of beliefs or inability to tap into them, people feel disempowered. Beliefs originate from what we hear, and we keep on hearing from others. Ever since we were children and even before that, sources of beliefs include environment, events, knowledge, past experience, visualizations. I know even in my own life, um, something had to be broken off of me that was spoken over me when I was in the womb. 
My biological father said something about me that wounded my spirit even as a fetus that had to be broken off of me. Guys, the thoughts that you think, the beliefs that you have, and what comes out of your mouth make impacts on people. And what you hear can drastically negatively impact you. When we, when we experience environment, an event, a new info, recall, past experience, even visualize, your brain has to process all of that, and as a result, you form a belief from it. Now, we see this biblically. I know this is a lot of technical stuff. I hear you, but it's important. We see this in Romans 10, 17. So faith comes by hearing, hearing by the words of Christ. If you ever get to a Bible verse and you just can't understand it, you're like, I don't know what's going on. Start reading it out loud. Here's why. Your ears will flip on a faith switch inside of you, and God will give you the ability to understand it. I don't know how it works, but I do know it works. So faith comes by hearing. As you hear the word of God, you process it, which is thinking, and then you make a decision on whether or not what you heard transitioned to belief or is discarded. You do this with every piece of information that you come across. Now, I spent a lot of time here talking about belief, and we could spend even more time about it, but I think we really need to talk about the processor side of all this more than anything, okay? Processing thoughts into beliefs. There's a passage in John chapter 6 where Jesus is teaching some pretty difficult stuff and a lot of the disciples leave. And Jesus looks at the apostles and says, y'all going to leave too? And Peter says this famous line. He says, um, where will we go? You have the words of eternal life, verse 16 out here, and we have, we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Come to believe and know. You see, that's the process of processing. He used, they used the disciples some things in order to process this. They use past information. They use current information. They use experiences. Now, for them, past information was the Torah. They knew who the Messiah was supposed to be. They knew what he was supposed to look like, what he was supposed to do. They knew, not look like, but what he was supposed to do. They knew it. Now, why did they know it? Well, 160 years before Jesus came, there was the Maccabee revolt. The Maccabean revolt, big, big, big revolt that got quashed. In 63 BC, Rome just completely annihilated and annexed Israel. Um, and then in 6 BC, there was another small revolt that got squashed. And between 6 and 4 is when Jesus was born, according to what most scholars believe. These guys knew what the Messiah was supposed to look like. Why? Because every one of them, all the men had to have training in Torah by the time they were a certain age. They knew. So here's what they did. They took that past information. And as they listened to Jesus, they reasoned in their hearts what the scriptures already said about who the Messiah was. Current information. As they listened in real time, they recognized he was doing all the things the scripture said the Messiah would do. Do you remember when John the Baptist was in prison? And John sent somebody and said, hey, ask Jesus, are you the one or should we look for another? What did Jesus respond? Yes, sir, I am him. No, he said, go tell him what I'm doing. Why is that so important? Because what Jesus was doing revealed who he was. So they saw that current information and that process and then experience. My goodness, can you imagine walking with Jesus for those three years? Can you imagine sitting with him around the campfire, listening to him talk? Can you imagine that? The, the gut feelings that they had as he spoke? The peace that flowed in their hearts? The, the authority that he spoke with? The instinct that they had that this is him? That the sixth sense? All of this info was crashing together in their minds, and they were processing as fast as possible to determine whether or not Jesus was really him. So how does this all help us now? Every sliver of information that you have you have to process it. You have to think about it and determine whether or not you're going to believe it. So here's my question. 
What are you using to determine whether or not a thought process comes a belief? What are you using? It's super important because it will determine what you do, your fruit. Another way to say this is, is this your standard? What is your standard for making a thought become a belief? So what should we use? We should use the Word of God, shouldn't we? The Word of God and our experiences with Him, okay? Now, have anybody ever thought about the fact that people get into thinking ruts? You know what I'm talking about? They get into ruts and like, they get bogged down in their thinking like they can't get out of them. Y'all heard that before. It's, it's a negative connotation. But if you think about it in terms of what we're talking about here today, the principle is good, but the rut is bad. But we're supposed to overcome. So rather than calling them ruts, maybe, maybe a better way to look at it is what if we had rails to run on? Now, a train uses rails, and it, and it sends it to where it goes, right? It overcomes. It's over the top of what might rut us. Now, here's the problem with rails is that rails limit our ability to go where we want to go. This is a big problem for people, especially Americans. Go west, young man. We want the freedom, but here, let me me just think about your life. How many times have you gotten off of God's road and gotten right into a rut? See this much, I would rather be on rails and go where God wants me than be stuck in a rut going nowhere, spinning my wheels. There are a lot of verses about the word. Hebrews 4.12, it's living and active. It discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Isn't that amazing that the word can actually dissect your thoughts? Isn't that what you want? What about John 17? Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. The word is truth. If you're looking for the truth, it's the word. What about Psalm 119.11? I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you, God. If you want godly actions, you need the word in you to process the thoughts in you, to produce the beliefs in you, to see the good deeds coming from you. But here's the problem. And this really is the grow up part of the message today. Um, most people claim they just don't know how to engage the word of God. I just can't understand it. You know, I don't know what it's saying or how to apply it. All them these and thous and those. And I love you, but that's a lie. The, the, the lie that you can't, just can't understand it. That's a lie. And if it's not a lie, it's just a really bad excuse. Now, why is it? It's because if you really wanted to know something, you'd learn. Okay? When I bought my motorcycle, I didn't know a whole lot about carburetors. So you know what I did? I Googled. I I watched YouTube videos. And then I joined a Facebook group of old guys who have played with carburetors their whole lives and asked them, and they gave me the info, and now my, my bike works like it needs to work. Same thing when it came to this land. What is a wetland delineation? Figure that out real quick. Um. If you really want to know, you'd learn. And you can't, claim to, you can't claim to not know something in the day and age that we live in. Right now on your phone, you can learn anything you want to learn. I want to learn how to do hair. You can learn it. I want to learn how to build a house. You can learn it. You can learn anything. So if you say that you can't understand the Bible, I'm going to call you out on that. Okay? We have too much at our fingertips. There's you version. I can't understand it. There's you version for kids. Goo goo gaga. Too far. You went too far back. Never ending podcasts, YouTube channels that help you understand the Bible. There are 1,617 different language translations just on you version alone. There are 67 different versions of the Bible on you version alone. The Bible is not complex. Now listen, there are tough parts. They really are. But not all of it. Here's an example. I bet you know real fast what John 3.16 means, don't you? 
What about 1 John 1 and 9? If you confess your sins, you're faithful, he's faithful and just to forgive you. We have to be careful that we understand the verses that benefit us, but don't understand the verses that we don't like. Lastly, what you do reveals what you think. What you do reveals what you think. You cannot expect godly deeds without godly beliefs. If you do, then what are you thinking? You have to make choices in your life, okay? Um, You have to grow up. You have to mature in your thought processes. You don't get to just do whatever you want and heck be the consequences. Take personal responsibility, absolutely. But you have to make a choice every day, sometimes second by second. We see it in Deuteronomy chapter 30. Choose today who you're going to serve. Choose life so that you can live. What's the risk here, guys? Well, the fruit, really, do you want to produce good fruit or bad fruit? Do you want to produce good or bad? And that's, that's what is at stake here. Earlier I asked, um, what should we use to, to process thoughts into belief? And I said the word in your experience. And I do hopefully hope you understand the word part of it. You need to be in the word. You need to be reading the word. But the experience part is not necessarily about your past experiences, but your current experiences of God. You, the, past, the past tells you who God has been and, you, and helps you trust Him and all that. That's great. But your current experiences give you the ability to change your current action. Without being led daily by the Holy Spirit, you are powerless to change what you're doing, believing, and thinking. Okay? So, how can you live the life God called you to live without daily experiences being led by the Holy Spirit? Now, I read to you a minute ago in Romans 8 about living according to the flesh versus living according to the Spirit. There's this verse passage in Galatians 5 that talks about walk by the Spirit so you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. We're looking for the fruit of Spirit to, to be a result in our lives. So, how can we be led by the Spirit? Now, we could do a whole message on how to be led by the Spirit, but let me give it to you very easy. You're led by the Spirit in the same exact way you're led by anything else. Let's take, let's take love, for instance. Whatever I do, right? I remember when I met Monique, and I was attracted to her, because she's fine, you know, like, Praise the Lord. Bless her, you know. Um, but everything in my life changed when I met her. Um, I stopped prioritizing certain things to prioritize time with Monique. I'm going to let y'all in on a secret. Um, when I first met Monique, she would like to just go driving. And she would want to pull off on the side of the road and pick wildflowers. So... <laughs> Can y'all imagine me on some East Texas road up north of Marshall, Texas, walking through bug-infested wildflowers, yellow one, red one, got made fun of relentlessly by my friends. That's all right. (laughs) I started spending my money on her and moments with her. Uh, my sleep patterns were disrupted because, you know, this is before really texting a lot, but because we had still T9 back when we met. You're like, what is that? Uh, two, 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 <laughs> six, six, eight, eight. Like, it was incredibly annoying. But it would be that, no, you get off the phone. No, you get off. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. It's disgusting, isn't it? Ugh. Ugh. My call history changed. Bro, 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 bro. Mm-mm. Monique, 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 Monique. My actions drastically changed. Why? I loved her. 
I wanted her. I wanted to spend the rest of my life with her. And so everything in my life changed so I could pursue her. You want to be led by the Holy Spirit? Change everything in your life to pursue him. Well, I don't know if I can do that. I'm afraid that what we have, especially in American Christianity, is a group of people who say they want Jesus, but they don't really love him enough to do what he asked them to do. Don't really love him enough to pursue him. Don't really love him enough to just spend some time and pray with him. Don't really love him enough to be led by the Holy Spirit. Like, I know I'm being mean, and I'm sorry I'm being mean to you. But every single one of us needs to reevaluate where we are and how much we really want a relationship with him. Do you really want him enough? Because here's what I do know. What you really want the most, you'll do. What you really want the most, you'll learn. You'll chase after You'll, you'll ignore the bros to go for him. If we pursued the Holy Spirit like we pursued something we really wanted, this conversation just wouldn't be necessary. So this is where we end today. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes right now if you can. I just want you to focus on the Lord, not somebody around you. I'm going to ask you some questions. And I want you to evaluate your life right now. Question number one, are you producing godly fruit? Are you producing godly fruit? Now, you might say, well, sometimes I do. I don't know. Like, on the majority, would you say the majority of your life you're producing godly fruit or not? Now, if you are, man, rock on. Praise God. Keep it up. If not, let's go to question two. What are you believing that keeps you from producing godly fruit? Maybe you've been hurt and you believe you're not worth it. Maybe you've hurt others and you believe you don't deserve it. Maybe there's some sin in your life and you believe that you need that sin to function, even if it's ruining your crop. Maybe you're afraid of God. Maybe God didn't do what you expected Him to do and you don't even really know how much you want Him. What are you believing? So if you know what it is, if you feel like the Holy Spirit spoken to you, then here's what your homework is for the rest of the week. Formulate a plan to fix it. I know for me, the first thing is calling somebody that knows me, knows God, loves me, loves God, and has my best interest in mind. If you don't know, then let's go to question three. What are you thinking? Holy Spirit, I'm asking you in this moment, to do what I can't possibly do even with 15 hours of yapping. Speak a word to your people. God, I ask you that you would isolate those thoughts that are keeping them from producing like you've called them to, things that are keeping them from being attached to the vine that you are. God, that you would isolate those thoughts right now in this moment. And God, number one, that we would have the courage to ask for forgiveness. Come on, some of y'all just need to confess that thought. I've been believing this, Jesus. And you just need to say it to him right now in this moment. No, you don't have to do it out loud, but say it to him in this moment. Jesus, I've been thinking these thoughts. I know they're wrong, and I confess them as sin. I ask you to forgive me. Now, second, we need to ask the Holy Spirit to renew our minds in this moment. God, recreate right thinking inside of us. 
Help us know what you want us to think on. Help us know what you want us to believe. Help Holy Spirit speak to us right now in this moment. Lies, God, that we've believed that they'd be quashed right now in the name of Jesus. Things that we believed about ourselves, things that our parents have told us, things that people around us have told us, identities that are contrary to what you've called me to and who you created me to be, that they'd be crushed right now in the name of Jesus. And lastly, God, that you would give us the courage to reach out to somebody that could help us with this. Somebody, you need to hear this. You're not alone. You don't have to do this by yourself. Father, I pray for your people. I speak life into them right now in the name of Jesus. God, that from this moment on, their thoughts are going to be godly thoughts that bring us closer to you. And we pull down in the name of Jesus ungodly thoughts that drag us away from you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. At Freedom, we want to help you have authentic relationships with God and His people, to have real experiences with the Holy Spirit, and to find lasting freedom. If the Holy Spirit speaks to you through this message, or if you want to make a decision for Jesus, please reach out at freedomdl.com connect. For more info on Freedom, including service times and location, visit freedomdl.com. Thanks for listening.